Welcome to the Burt Reynolds and Charles Bronson podcast. I am your host, Scott White. And what are we looking at this time? We're looking at an episode of the new WKRP that was directed by Burt Reynolds. And I have a returning guest. Uh, you may remember him from my other podcast, the Dan Aykroyd podcast. We did uh, the film Neighbors together. And uh, I am turning it over to Tim Howard. Tim, how are you doing? I'm fine. I'm great. So the reason we're doing this is you were once in radio. Correct. And so we're going to tie in a bunch of things to this. We're going to look at this episode specifically, uh, the new WKRP, and then we're going to sort of compare it to the old WKRP. And then I want to get your opinion on on the radio biz. How close were this? How close were the shows to the actual radio experience? Sure. Okay. And uh, so we're going to start off with this episode. Well, the reason Burt Reynolds directed it was because Lonnie Anderson made a guest appearance in this show, and at the time they were married. Right. Uh, and as a little bit of background, of course, uh, the original show, WKRP, um, she, Lonnie Anderson played Jennifer Marlowe, who was the main receptionist at the station. She was also the highest paid employee at the station. Right. Because she was, like, gorgeous. She'd answer the phone, but she wouldn't get anybody a cup of coffee or do any of the traditional secretarial 19, late 70s, early 80s kind of secretarial duties uh, kind of thing. And in the new WKRP, they uh, lean on her... Uh, especially in the early episodes and, and seasons, because that, that really was her uh, claim to fame, was the WKRP. And so there's a lot of callbacks, and she's involved in quite a few of the episodes uh, with the new WKRP. Right. She wasn't a regular on the new WKRP, but her no. and Howard Heston uh, both made several cameos throughout the two years it was on. Right. Right. And we will say that uh, Gordon Jump, Richard Saunders, and Frank Bonner, who played Arthur Carlson, Les Nessman, and Herb Tarlick, they were regulars. They were the three characters from right. the first show that returned for the second show. Right. They're the characters that provide uh, a lot of continuity uh, for the new WKRP. Uh, I was reviewing you know, other episodes for context uh, for this particular episode that um, Jennifer was always kind of a gold digger, so to speak. And for this particular episode, she's managed to actually land a, a prince who is in charge of some tiny country somewhere in Europe, some sort of city-state, I suppose. 
some sort of pickle, but all no, he's an olive. He's an olive baron. Yeah, something like that. And uh, and he's he's actually royalty. And Charles, speaking of royalty, uh, Charles Nelson Riley is the uh, guest star, and uh, he plays sort of the uh, I don't know what you call it the the butler the uh, he's sort of the uh, well, well let's get the casting down you got. Lonnie Anderson comes back to Cincinnati with her prince, the Olive Baron, and that's played by uh, what was it? Robert Goulet. Yeah, Robert Goulet. You know who was you know in Camelot originally. That was his claim to fame, and so here he is, sort of playing this age-appropriate character for uh, Jennifer. Then, then his right hand man is Charles Nelson Riley, and mm-hmm. uh, the audience really reacted well. It was WKRP, the new WKRP was filmed before a live studio audience, and they really reacted well to Charles Nelson Riley's character. They uh, did particular episode, which is odd because Charles Nelson Riley, for any of our younger listeners. His big claim to fame was the match game. He was a contestant on the match game. And that's where, and that was, but that was in the, you know, mid seventies, I actually early seventies to early eighties. So this was a good 10 years after. Yeah. He's, he was one of these celebrities who was a celebrity because he was a celebrity. Right. (laughs) But, but he, he always leaned towards the comic whenever he would, he was like guest star on like love American style and various other shows. He was a regular on the tonight show Mm. and, uh, and stuff and was always very funny guy. I remember growing up thinking that he was, it was just funny just how he, uh, well, he played comedic roles. He was also gay, but not gay. It was, he was a very flamboyant character. Right. And it was sort of along the lines of Liberace. It was like everybody knew he was gay, but... He was like Dom DeLuise. You know, just kind of... Everybody kind of knew he was gay, and he acted in a very flamboyant, stereotypical manner, but him being gay wasn't really part of the... Uh, equation so to speak he wasn't playing they used to call it a fey character uh uh, uh, but he was no being uh, he wasn't doing that being gay was not part of his character right but i found this odd well not odd but i found that it's like in this episode he actually hits on arthur carlson yeah that's right Uh, there's a funny scene at the beginning where he uh, shows up with a metal detector and for some reason it ends up uh going between mr carlson's legs and hangs onto his crotch mm-hmm. and at some point where he's uh extraditing or getting the uh get, getting the metal detector out from mr from between his legs he turns to mr carlson very briefly and says you know we'll play later <laughs> do you know disney world yeah Sure. <laughs> we are 
olive world. Well, you, you said you were checking for bugs. Oh, we have to. You see, you can't be too careful. The world is a dangerous place to live. <laughs> Perhaps we could discuss that at length sometime. You, you work for a prince? Yes, and there isn't much time. Now, let go. <laughs> we'll play later. But that's it, and then it's 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 uh, it's dropped after that. But that was that was the only time in all the uh, I Charles Nelson Riley just went along with the fact that he was gay, right? Um, exactly, and then everybody suspected Tony Randall of being gay, yeah, and then he was not, <laughs> or at least he. I don't know. He had a child when he was like seventy-two or something like that. Yeah, I, I remember that. Uh, uh, but anyway, this is not, this is not who was gay in Hollywood. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't mean to get off on that tangent at all. We're just trying to introduce people to, introduce to the Charles character, Nelson yes. Riley, right? Because these are characters like Charles Nelson Riley and Robert Goulet, even Burt Reynolds and Lonnie Anderson. I don't think might be known by a lot of younger people today. Uh, right. That's probably not our audience. No, actually, I, I've looked at our audiences are men our age. So, yeah, we're probably, probably so. we're probably over-explaining this to the people who are yeah, listening to this. Sorry about that, but that, that's what editing's for. You can handle this in editing. <laughs> but, yeah, so we're trying to introduce Charles Nelson Riley to people who aren't listening. Sorry about that. So, the gist of the sketch, or the gist of the show is, uh, Jennifer comes back. She's, she's going to marry this uh, baron, this prince. And Robert Goulet, Robert Goulet, and she's invited everybody from the station uh, to the engagement party. Now they suspect that Robert Goulet is a fake. It's a very traditional sitcom where they suspect Robert Goulet is a fake prince just after Lonnie Anderson's money, because as you said earlier, Lonnie Anderson was a gold digger and she actually did land a husband who was very rich and he died. So she has a bunch of money. So everybody's worried that this prince is going after her money. Correct. And so she's actually coming in as this a wealthy dowager, so to speak. I don't know if that's the proper term or not. But anyway, she's and so uh, Les and Herb are concerned that he's actually going to try to soak her for money. And the overhear part of a telephone conversation, or at least Herb does, that he wasn't supposed to overhear. And of course, in typical sitcom fashion, he listens to the part of the phone conversation completely out of context. And so it gives him completely the wrong impression of what his intention was with, uh, with Jennifer. And that results in a confrontation. But it, it really, it was over just like that. Yeah. Uh, this is something that this episode actually it actually uh, grew uh, Herb Tarlick's character is during the original run of the show. He's a married man, but he was hot for Jennifer for right. Lonnie Ann. Yeah, absolutely and, obsessed. Yeah, and totally obsessed. And for the most part, we thought it was just because she was a very attractive woman. Well, in the new series, there's a new receptionist who is a very attractive woman who's interested in Herb, right. even though he's married. So it turns out that 
Herb was not just going after Lonnie Anderson because she was beautiful. Evidently, he really had feelings for Jennifer. It wasn't just her body. Because this woman who is just as beautiful as uh, as Lonnie Anderson and who is throwing herself at Herb, and he's trying to avoid her. Yeah, and, and the thing is, yeah, that was the other part of the Lonnie Anderson character from WKRP is that she was uh, omnicompetent. She was, like, way too smart and way too clever to actually have a job as a receptionist. You know, right. kind of thing. That she was always the smartest person in the room. Or the most competent person in the room. Or the most competent. They, yeah, right. And and so consequently, the new receptionist is just on the exactly the opposite. That she's uh, very attractive, but has to play this, you know, typical bimbo kind of character empty-headed bimbo kind of thing going on maybe herb was herb was attracted to her uh you know uh jennifer's intelligence and it's it's just a it's just another dimension to herb right if this beautiful young woman is throwing himself at him and he's ignoring her it's like so obviously there was something about jennifer just besides her beauty that was uh, that that herb was attracted to now, one of the questions that kept occurring to me as I watched this episode and several other episodes, and I remember when the new KRP came on the air, and uh, it was about 10 years after the original show had, had come on the air, and I was trying to think to myself, why didn't this, why didn't it make it, so to speak? My opinion is... First of all, the cast in this new KR there I know there was a lot of people in the original KRP, but it seemed like everybody it seemed like it melded together. Here, it's the cast is like a phone book of all the people in the cast and you don't so there's so many characters that they get they just get a minimal amount of screen time, so you're not allowed to invest in that character. So you don't care about that character, in my opinion. I think WKRP, the original, did a good job of highlighting everybody where you were able to see the person's good points and bad points, and you were able to identify with those people uh, much better than the the people in the new WKRP. Yeah, like it was definitely in an ensemble show, and there is an understanding. Well, I mean, first off, we have to remember as well that, you know, it was produced by Mary Tyler Moore Productions, you know, MTM, uh, the original mm -hmm. uh, KRP. And so it was like the Mary Tyler Moore show. You know, we, we understand that there's lots of people that it takes to run a TV station, but that show focused on about six main characters, you know, for, the, for all the time it was on the air. Well, same right. thing with KRP. There's the occasional reference to a weekend or a nighttime DJ. Uh, and one even comes into play and, and has like it's gets some payola and some cocaine thing going on. It, it focused narrowly on the lives and the background and the origin stories of these five or six or so misfits. Right, because TV stations and radio stations are 24 seven for the most part. But like usually like they have the book. 
And they were talking, yeah, and that's when they would, it's like, well, we're getting killed between this time. So you're right. They would reference other people, but, but the focus was on, was on the, the, a, a short cast where you can like, you know, name all of them and the, the show could be invested in this particular character for this show and the interaction with this character on this show. Sometimes it's less getting an award. Sometimes it's herb. Sometimes it's Jennifer that originally Bailey was way out, but she comes in as, as a very strong main character. I was also thinking that what made WKRP such a hit for me, and I think for, for a lot of the country, um, was it was really so far out of the mainstream. It was really a show where the counterculture was now on primetime television. Now, today, that's everywhere. Counterculture and primetime TV and, and streaming and everything is, you know, locked together. But there, there's a reference, for example, the, that they're in a one episode of WKRP, they're in a pornographic movie theater, and they're about to be raided by the cops, and Johnny just reaches into his pockets, and all you hear are all these pills hitting the floor right and left, that there were oblique references to casual drug use, uh, casual sex, pornography, uh, that kind of thing. Um, Herb's willingness to uh, throw his wife overboard uh, and go after Jennifer, I guess that was... Uh, not necessarily counterculture, because I'm thinking of Mad Men. But mm -hmm. in any case, but you could also watch WKRP and actually hear rock and roll songs. Rock and roll, and not just rock and roll songs from, you know, the early era and stuff, but stuff that was like currently top 40 stuff, or, you know, very shortly before that when the show was actually on the air, you could actually hear the Rolling Stones and the Who uh, and uh, various other hard rock groups on the original KRP. But by 1991, when the new WKRP is on the air, it doesn't stand out in that way anymore. Well, it's a lot... I. One another reason why I don't think the new WKRP worked is it was a lot safer. It was a lot more by the numbers sitcom. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And so the counterculture had merged so much with the mainstream culture that the term counterculture itself generally refers now to a, an era <laughs> where, where popular culture and counterculture were not one in the same. And I think the merger of the two uh, didn't help the new show. I was also wondering, too, that with the original series, there was an episode or two about these right-wing groups wanting to come in and censor the radio and that kind of a thing. And with the new KRP, right away, they have this organization called Claude you know, for the Cincinnati uh, Decency League or something like that. And they play off against that 
quite a bit uh, with these activists who were constantly going up against rock and roll and stuff. And sure, that happened in the 90s, but it, it wasn't like it was in the 70s. No. And, and so in that sense, it was like they were trying to fight a battle that had already been won a decade ago. Uh, kind of thing. So maybe that's why. But but also, you had Tawny Katan. Katane. Katane. Tawny Katane was, I'm thinking when they were putting the show together, because I also noticed that many of the same producers and writers and directors that were involved with the original show were also involved with the new KRP. And um, like Bill Dial, for example, shows up um, in the end credits on a lot of these episodes. And she was going to be the new sort of Jennifer, except that she, instead of a receptionist, she's a DJ uh, and stuff. And she's the, the hot one that everybody's in, hot and competent one. Right. And she plays an updated version of Jennifer's character. Not so much in this episode. No, this episode, uh, none of the regulars get to shine. Because basically this episode is Robert Goulet, Charles Nelson Riley, and Lonnie Anderson. Right. They, exactly. they take the center stage in this episode. All the characters, even Arthur Carlson, Les, right. and Herb, they're all... Yeah, it's, it's about 80% um, Robert Goulet, Charles Nelson Riley, and uh, Lonnie Anderson. No, and, and they're trying to fix his problem. He's got a problem back home as well. Because as it turns out, he was overthrown while he was out of the country by his brother-in-law, who was apparently a bartender at some local place back in his home country. And so Lonnie Anderson has to figure that out, become a diplomat, and basically talks Robert Goulet's Prince character into reforming his government as a constitutional uh, monarchy where he'll still get to be the prince and he'll still get to have the casino and the castle and all the nice stuff. But then there'll be a parliament and they'll be in charge of doing the day-to-day -day stuff. Well, that's that. He's going to turn himself in. But he wants Rosario Roberto to become a constitutional democracy with an elected president and a parliament. I knew it. That's impossible. Why? This country has been a monarchy for over 1,100 years. Now, my people are used to it. My people like it. Not all of them. No, but, Princess, you just can't throw away centuries of tradition. What's to happen to me? Well, to us. Yes. Nothing. Great Britain has a democracy and a prince. They've got a lot of princes. You can keep the palace and the casino and the money, and the new parliament can take care of the details of running the country. Well, I never liked that part anyway. <laughs> it's interesting that she's the one who, you know, fixes it because it gets back to her character as being this omnicompetent person who is, you know, the most competent person in her room, maybe the brightest person in the room, and she actually solves this guy's problems for this entire she country. It's to the point where uh, Jennifer basically doesn't have any flaws. Right. Because uh, there's one scene in this episode. They're attacking, they're attacking the prince because they think he's trying to kill her for their money. And 
usually they're like, well, Jennifer, we just, you know, we're just look, we just, you know, your family, we're looking out for you. And usually in that situation, somebody would be a little more like, oh, I appreciate it. But she's like, when have I ever needed help? Or, or yeah. something like that. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, when have I ever not known? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's it right. It's a very, it, 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 the scene made her unlikable, in my opinion, in that. It's just like these, these old friends of yours, sure, they were mistaken, but they were just looking out for you. Yeah, and, they still love you and and the whole bit. Yeah, I could I could absolutely see that. I could absolutely see that. In this episode, there is a quality stunt done by Les Nesman. Yes. They're in they're they're in this ballroom in a hotel, and they think the prince is gonna stab uh Jennifer, and he runs and he crashes through this window. And it's the it's Richard Saunders. It's the actor. He does this, and I don't know what he must have been. Early sixties. Yes, he's not in the best of shape if you look at him, but he, <laughs> but he runs and he jumps and he cra- and it was a quality stunt. I was I was impressed that he did it himself. <laughs> well, maybe that's where the Burt Reynolds thing came in. That you know he decided it had to have a little bit of physical comedy there. He used to be a stuntman, Burt Reynolds. Before. Yeah, that's right. That's how he started. So, well, since this is a, well, you know, we're talking about what did you think of Burt Reynolds' direction of the episode? Well, I mean, I, having seen other episodes, there was nothing that really made it stand out as either really good or really bad, you know, it, and so. It's. It seems to me, just from looking at the other episodes and looking at this one, that he had probably seen the other episodes and was familiar enough with the characters and with the situation and stuff that it, it's not like... I mean, you could imagine what a Quentin Tarantino episode might have looked like, you know, if he had directed <laughs> one. Although, you know, Four Rooms is a great comedy, also directed by Tarantino, and very few people have seen it, and it's really hilarious. Anyway, I thought the directing was fine. I I thought it moved a little bit. It was definitely, you could tell, though, that it it was really focused on Lonnie Anderson, Mm -hmm. that it was like, you know, the Lonnie Anderson show, and everybody else was very much second fiddle to that, which is fine. There were episodes like that in KRP, quite a few. And again, KRP was a huge hit. I yes. mean, not only was it like highly rated show, but also in syndication, I mean, that sucker just kept playing like Star Trek, you know, that you had no trouble at all in the days before VCRs and DVRs. You could catch WKRP sometime in the evening or late night or you know on the weekends there was some station that was going to be playing it uh somewhere so it was a huge successful big cash cow i thought burt reynolds competently directed it he didn't you know like he didn't take any chance there was one shot which i thought was nice where the cameras but was behind uh two flutes of champagne and herd comes up and takes one 
that was a, that was a, an interesting shot in there. But for the most part, I thought it was competently directed. And sure. I'm sure there was a lot of, if I'm going to direct this, I'm going to make Lonnie the center of attention. And Char- I'm sure Charles Nelson Riley and Robert Goulet were friends of Burt Reynolds. And it's like, will sure. you do this for me? And, uh, and they were like, yeah, we'll do this. Well, th- when I was watching the episode, one thing that occurred to me is, you know, how Burt Reynolds and Dom DeLuise played off of each other in, yes. uh, in a lot of movies and stuff. And I, I thought I kind of saw that pattern uh, with Robert Goulet and uh, Charles Nelson Riley. That that it could have it, it could have just as well have been Burt Reynolds playing Robert Goulet, and it could have been Dom DeLuise playing his uh, the Charles Nelson Riley character. And also, there's a scene, and I think I don't know if you where uh, Charles Nelson Riley is sort of breaking the fourth wall. He's announcing people, but the audience keeps laughing. So he's so he keeps uh, he keep, he's like chastising the audience. It's like. Uh, so he's sort of breaking the fourth wall. Yeah, when I he, remember that scene. He, for some reason, yeah, he, when he was announcing the characters, maybe it was like because he'd kind of forgotten their names or something or dropped a line. But yeah, the audience was like laughing really hard and it took him a long time to get his lines out. And it's right. interesting that it made it, you know, into the show. Well, that... Be- because Burt Reynolds' movies are famous for showing the bloopers at the end, mm-hmm. so maybe that, so maybe that's why he kept it in. That's sort of his brand too. But another thing about this episode, which was discon, it's uh, Jennifer comes home. It's like you're my family. Well, we co- we kind of think of as the old WK or you know uh, Venus flytrap. Those when when she was in uh, the hotel room with all these women. Yeah, I, I, there was no connection. I didn't. There, I, there's no because there's been no connection with her and these people. Right, they're having a formal ball, and none of the women that work at KRP, of course, have any kind of uh, outfit to wear to a formal ball. So Jennifer's just going to buy all these strangers, mm-hmm. you know, designer dresses, right, for this one night event, or at least loan them. Well, she said she was going on a shopping spree, so she was definitely buying those dresses and going to let the other girls wear them. But, yeah, there's no connection there, and it was like... I guess technically, like when the first series ended, that Jennifer stuck around while these women came in, and then she quit. I mean, there could have been continuity between the two series, but it just doesn't relay on screen. It's there was a, a a bigger female presence in the new WKRP because in the old one it was just Bailey and Jennifer. Right. We got a DJ. We got traffic. Uh, I'm not. But there was. We have the receptionist. So there is a there is a a larger female presence. Mrs. Carlson makes a guest appearance in this show as well. From the original series. Oh, right, right. Arthur, Mr. Carlson's mom. Oh, Jennifer, I'm very happy for you, dear. 
A determined and talented woman like you needs only one thing to get her aspiration in gear. <laughs> Funding. <laughs> and love, Mrs. Carlson? Oh, love is nice. Why, well, I won't knock it. <laughs> but darling, without money to sand down life's rough edges, love is a one-way trip to Palookaville. <laughs> but there's no scene between... Now, the... From the early show, there was always a contentious relationship between uh, Carl, uh, between Carl, uh, Mr. Carlson, and his mother. Uh, he's actually kind of afraid of her. Right. But in this episode, they have not one scene together. You know, when she walks in, she's with Arthur Carlson, her son. You know, stand up straight or or, or something like that, just to yeah. recapture the uh recapture the what they had in the first show their relationship right. from the first show but they're just two disembodied people in this episode yeah that's right well again like i said it was lonnie was definitely you know the star of the show in this one and i i have seen other episodes of the new krp where lonnie is there but she's plays more of a peripheral role yeah. uh you know she helps them out because Initially, when the show started, they started, well, first off, they started the, the first episode of the new KRP was an hour long with commercials clip show of the highlights from the previous KRP. Right. And then they bring in a new program director, but then there's been a problem that something got set on the air that shouldn't have gotten set on the air. And so Mr. Carlson's been arrested and his mom decides to sell the station. And so then Johnny Fever and uh, Jennifer come back to help make the station so bad <laughs> that nobody in their right mind would want to buy it. Uh, so that Arthur Carlson's mom has no option other than to hang on to the station. And so. Um, so that's how they sort of started out is that from the very beginning they were looking for continuity between the new show and the old show and they were trying to merge it but um like i said it just didn't i mean i've seen enough episodes of the new krp to think well it's not terrible no it's not terrible but it's more by the numbers than the original the new KRP was designed, you know, like Star Trek The Next Generation. It was supposed to be for syndication. It was produced specifically for syndication, whereas the original KRP was produced by a network, had a network backing. Uh, so it, ought, it, it sort of had a place to go, whereas when you're producing something for syndication back in the 80s and 90s, you want to try to make it something that's attractive enough, but at the same time, isn't something that you, you know, you know, might scare people away from wanting to put it on their TV station in Birmingham. I mean, they were lucky, like Star Trek and WKRP, they have name recognition, but that only takes you so far. And I've always said this. It's like when people... Like when the when uh, the Ghostbusters 2016 came out, 
And people would say, you can't stop compare. You can't compare it to the original. Well, I think you can because they're using the name to get viewers. And if you're using an existing property to get viewers, then I think it's perfectly legitimate to compare your project to the previous project. If you don't want to be compared to the previous project, do something totally original. Well, you know, when I was a, you know, poli-sci professor, I would use the political equivalent of everything. And now that I'm a restaurateur, I always use the food equivalent of everything. It's like, let's say you have a product. It's called Wonder Bread. And then you come up with Wonder Bread 2. People are going to pretty much be looking to see if it's as good as the original Wonder Bread now, aren't they? <laughs> yes. You know, since you, you didn't name it but something else completely and set it in a different city, it's not like some girls in Los Angeles that are dealing with, you know, some paranormal activity out there kind of a thing. You, you made it just, you know, like I said, Wonder Bread too. Well, that's why you can't compare Frazier to Cheers. Sir Frazier was a character in Cheers, but it's something totally different. Well, it's uh, a spinoff, yeah. It's a spinoff. Yeah, like, well, I mean, geez, I mean, which show had the most spinoffs? Like, All in the Family. All in the Family had seven. Yeah, that's, I think that's the record. That, that you could, those shows could stand on their own because of the strength of these characters that were initially tangential. But then again, that's an interesting, too. The, there, there was no spinoff from KRP. No. I think the only one that probably could have pulled it off was uh, Howard Hessman as Dr. Johnny Fever. Yeah, yeah he, got, was, he, he goes to another radio station. I was really surprised uh, at how many episodes he's in with the new KRP that he actually does in the later episodes. He comes back and is a DJ and is a regular again. And I was under the impression, and it, I could be wrong, that one of the reasons the show went off the air was he was just tired of playing Dr. Johnny Fever and didn't want to do it anymore. Because he did Head of the Class. He did another right. sitcom. And he uh, just played just a really straight, down-the-road, you know, teacher. And pretty much the straight man. Instead of being, you know, the, the guy who's kind of living on the edge, which was what was so appealing about uh, Dr. Johnny Fever. I think a lot of people watching the WKRP wanted to be like Dr. Johnny Fever. Just like, I don't well, and, I They probably want to have a little more money, but just have his attitude. Yeah, exactly. Well, and when KRP was originally on the air, I can tell you, we all knew somebody that was like Johnny Fever. We all knew somebody who, you know, had really experienced the 60s, to borrow a line that Ignatowski uses in Taxi when he was asked, did you take chemistry in college? He said, oh yeah. <laughs> I took a lot of chemistry in college. Mm -hmm. You know, but Johnny was a guy who took a lot of chemistry in the 60s and was kind of stuck in the 60s and had had some wild times in his youth and by the time it's 1980, you're getting older and trying to become more responsible, but you still have this kind of rock and roll edge to you. 
up in wearing denim jackets and, and stuff like that. But we all knew somebody like that, yeah. you know, back then. Um, well, let's get into this. So you, what did you do in the radio world? Uh, all right. Well, what happened was I uh, graduated from high school. First off, my whole life, Ron Howard and I are the same age. And so my life pretty much parallels uh, Ron Howard's life. You know, when, when he's Opie, that's how old I am. And when he's on happy days um, and he's in high school, I'm in high school. The year that he graduated on the TV show was the same year I actually graduated from high school. And so my life, I, I was always able to find a TV show that was right where I was at that time. Anyway, when WKRP came on the air at the same time that I was a broadcasting major at the University of Nebraska, specifically broadcasting, not journalism, because it's, it's not the same thing. And they said, uh, you were given an hour or two at the local college station. Uh, and you could pick whatever time you wanted and stuff. And I picked like an hour Friday night, an hour Saturday night when the listenership would be uh, the highest. But they also said, if there's any other work that you could do as an intern or anything else that can get on the air, the only way you get good at being on the air is to do it repetitively. Get on the air as much as you can if that's what you want your career to be. So there is a local nonprofit. Uh, run by communists. Well, they weren't all communists, but <laughs> there was the, the guy who started it was a communist. I remembered him in high school. He was always standing out in front of my high school asking us for money. Now, when I say this guy is a communist, I don't mean he's a communist because uh, he voted for a Democrat once or something like that. He was just an absolute dyed-in-the-wool Left-wing bathing is a capitalist conspiracy. <laughs> kind of way, way left. You, you, you think you, you may know somebody who thinks we should have national health care or whatever. No, this guy was like way, way beyond it. I mean, he was the guy who was like, Lennon would go, God damn, you know? And so <laughs> he started the station and they, they wanted people. And, and the station itself was kind of like KRP that they wanted to be popular and get as many people to listen to it as possible. But at the same time, uh, the one thing they didn't want me to do was to play popular music. So, uh, and a lot of it, they were trying to be uh, Pacifica. They were trying to, you know, because they had music shows, but they were intermixed with shows there was actually the head of the American Nazi Party, Gerhard Lauk was his name. And he lived in Lincoln, Nebraska, which is where I was. And he had a show after my show. <laughs> so he wanted to listen to everybody of all sorts of different points of views. And so one hour, it was just me. And, and nobody was very sophisticated about radio drive time, that they didn't really understand that, that the time you really want to be on the radio, the time where people are mostly listening to it, at least in 1979 through 81 or so, 
is they're listening to it as they're driving to work in the morning and as they're driving home from work in the afternoon. Now, the radio station was only on the air. In fact, I turned on the radio station for my show at 5 o'clock. I picked 5 to 6 o'clock Mondays through Thursdays because I was on at the college station on Friday and Saturday nights. And anyway, and nobody else wanted that time because they didn't understand that's when you have the most listeners. In fact, later on, we would have a fundraiser and uh, the people listening during my show raised more money than any of the other shows during the fundraiser because they didn't understand that there's more people listening at five o'clock in the afternoon than at, you know, 2 a.m. But anyway, so it was a really interesting situation where they, they wanted to gain and get more of an audience. And they all very much believed uh, in free speech and the whole bit and having the head of the American Nazi Party have a radio show. It wasn't every night, but it was one night a week. And other <laughs> people that were openly communist. And the there was another set of gals who came on after I did. Well, everybody came on after I did because I turned on the station. Mm-hmm. Literally turned on the transmitter and turned on the heater and everything. And it was in the basement of this bakery. <laughs> and so you go into the basement of this bakery and you just smell the most fantastic things cooking all over the time while you're sitting there in this little basement uh, bullpen or well it wasn't the bullpen but it was the the studio and and so it was just a, an incredible uh, experience that at one point the communist tried to get me kicked off the air because I my the music I was playing was too popular now my main music uh my program was pretty much british invasion music just personal preference and then this other guy came on and they gave him a show where it was like the beatles hour well the beatles were about half of my british invasion music stuff (laughs) so i started playing other music and they said hey quit playing popular music and so what i did I went out and bought 52nd Street by uh, Billy Joel and Linda Ronstadt's Greatest Hits. And I just played every song off of both of those albums one night. Just one after the other. Here's Billy Joel. Here's Linda Ronstadt. Here's Billy Joel. Here's Linda Ronstadt for the entire you know hour just as a giant fuck you uh, <laughs> to these people. And so the communist guy, Ron was his name, uh, decides that I need to go. And so they actually had a meeting that they broadcast on a Saturday morning on getting rid of me. And I convinced the board that, look, (laughs) you know, I don't think Linda Ronstadt and Billy Joel are nearly as objectionable as, I don't know, the head of the American Nazi Party. (laughs) But maybe that's just me. And I said, if you really believe in free speech and freedom of expression, it's okay for Gerhardt to have his little Nazi show one one time a week. And it's okay for me to play Billy Joel if I want to play Billy Joel. Now, did I like Billy Joel at the time? Oh, no. I mean, yeah, I've emulated his haircut and everything now. But, you know, I, I just bought went out and bought that just to piss these people off and they decided okay we're not going to kick you off the station you can continue to have your show 
And it was like, great. And then about a year later, I, I left. <laughs> but, it, but that was one of the things I really appreciated about WKRP was from a technical standpoint, they had it down that there were these little cartridges, eight track tapes where you would plug stuff in to play public service announcements and stuff. And they had the board there. And, and what you had to do is uh, you had to come in when it was your turn and you had to write down some stuff about where the transmitter was to make sure you were on signal because in the days before digital, you had to every so often things could happen. So if you're supposed to be broadcasting at 98.1, if you don't watch that sucker, pretty soon you're at 98.2 or 98.3 or 98.4. And people tuning in to 98.1 don't know where the radio station went to. So you had to go in there and you had to write down where the log was. There had to be a, a first class engineer on site the whole time in case there was a problem. And so you see that, especially with the original show. Uh, is that the new DJ will come in and he'll have a stack of carts or cartridges and he'll put them down and he'll sign into the log and then he'll go and sign into the other stuff and he'll get all of his stuff all queued up. So all you have to do is just shove it in and it starts to, you know, starts to play or you can set it so that you'd have to hit the button uh, to play it. But, but from a technical standpoint, whoever directed it and whoever put the show on the air had apparently actually been at a radio station at some point because they had all the the technical stuff correct and sitting down only oh, getting the records queued up uh as well that um you, you, that we are still using turntables and so you would take the record and put it on there and then you you would flip a switch over so that you could hear it, but it wasn't going out over the air. And you would play it backwards, and then about another half a revolution before the song came on. And uh, that way, when you turned on the turntable, it would be up to speed by the time the song started. So you don't hear the song going, like that, you know. that The song would be at uh, full speed. And so that I really appreciated WKRP because that's exactly where I was at that point in my life and all the little technical stuff that they did that had absolutely nothing to do with the show whatsoever that never ever moved the plot forward but they wanted to make it so that you could actually have a realistic kind of look in and see uh, how, how a radio station works because nobody had come up with the idea of putting cameras in radio stations uh, back then, I mean, eventually, people like Rush Limbaugh do this. Yeah, Howard Stern is as well uh, does that. So people didn't really know what that was like, and so the the fact that they actually made the actors do that, they they you know had them go down and you know learn how to queue up the record and put the carts in the machine and write into their logs and stuff was uh, uh, the part of the show that I. Uh, really appreciated. Now, later on, when news radio was on television, they didn't quite do with Phil Hartman and such. They didn't quite get into that. No, Phil was, uh, Phil was always in the background 
like when they were in the bullpen. Right. Was in the, there was never ne, there was never a lot of stuff going on in the booth in news radio. And that was what was so cool about KRP is some of the more some of the funniest stuff that happens happens in the booth. Like the of course the turkey drop. Mm-hmm. That you actually see them in the booth reacting to Les Nesman's recounting of the turkeys falling to the earth like sacks of wet cement. <laughs> what a sight, ladies and gentlemen, what a sight. The copter seems to be circling the parking area now. I guess it's looking for a place to land. No, something just came out of the back of the helicopter. It's uh, a dark object. Uh, <laughs> perhaps a skydiver plummeting to the earth from only 2,000 feet in the air. <laughs> No parachutes yet. Those can't be skydivers. I can't tell just yet what they are, but... Oh, my God, they're turkeys! Oh, Johnny, can you get this? Oh, they're crashing to the earth right in front of my eyes! One just went through the windshield of a parked car! Just running around, pushing each other? Oh, my goodness! Oh, the humanity! that they're actually in there you don't see jennifer's reaction to it they never cut back to the helicopter or anything they just you know recreate the whole hindenburg broadcast and uh you, you never see the turkeys falling yourself you get to experience it the way the radio listeners at wkrp were experiencing it there was no way they could have actually shown the turkeys dropping. No, no. They could have kept the helicopter showing them, throwing them out kind of a thing. And and they never did that. They just made sure that it was like a radio experience. That the, and it was great. It was great. Oh, yeah. It was, it was like Hitchcock. A lot of the stuff Hitchcock <laughs> did, you actually don't see the stuff. You just see the people's reaction to it. Uh kind of thing and, and you know that was kind of a Hitchcockian kind of uh, episode and it really stands out for all the sitcoms that have ever been on TV and the whole bit that they just absolutely nailed it and again it was you know based on the Hindenburg a disaster broadcast well the fact that as you said not all the television shows in history all the episodes in history, if you can get one that just stands out in pop culture, then you've done something. And that's what the turkey drop was. Right. And, and I would say even more so than I'm trying to think of what other. I, I mean, I referenced the Mary Tyler Moore show earlier. There's one where the clown chuckles, the clown chuckles. That's it. Chuckles. The clown is killed. And that is hilarious, and it's outstanding. And if you can only see one episode of the Mary Tyler Moore Show, you you want to see the Chuckles the Clown funeral and stuff. But part of what makes that funny is that you don't know how uptight and how much of a straight-laced person Mary is. <clears throat> and then here she is just losing it, laughing her ass off inappropriately at Chuckles the Clown's funeral. So you have to know a little bit about the characters. I think the KRP Turkey episode just kind of stands out. That if you know nothing about the show or nothing about the characters, 
I think you would still think that's hilarious. <laughs> Especially at the end where he says, you know, I swear. God is my witness. <laughs> yeah, I thought turkeys could fly. In the new WKRP, uh, Gordon Jump, who plays Arthur Carlson, lost some weight. And uh, Richard Saunders, who plays Les Nesman, put on some weight. Yeah. So almost looked like the same person. These chubby <laughs> bald men. And another thing from this episode, which I didn't understand, we're back on the new WKRP, the episode that Burt Reynolds directed, is when Herb Tarlick wore suits in the 70s and 80s, these were these polyester suits. But in this episode, he's got this open collar and this medallion. So he's dressing like, you know, John Travolta from Saturday Night Fever. And what happened to the polyester suits with the ties? It was... Yeah, and, and, and with the big knots. With the big knots, yeah. yeah. And all of these colors going on and stuff. Yeah, and the thing is, I I mean, I was old enough in the 70s to actually have had white dress shoes and a white belt <laughs> and a mauve leisure suit with white buttons kind of a thing and so and there is photographic evidence of this somewhere actually in a family <laughs> photo i'm wearing this mob suit with the white highlights and stuff but that was kind of the style it's just that with her dressed like that in like the in 1980 and beyond it was like he was about five years out of date so maybe that's what they were trying to do here except you know, when you're wearing the medallion and stuff, that's still 70s. It's like he's stuck in the 70s. It's like he's 20 years out of date here. Yeah, he's it's 20 like, years out of date. It's like he's regressed. Well, um, you know what would have been funny is if they'd have said, you know, you know, we're going to have this new show and it's going to be a takeoff of KRP and it's going to use these characters and stuff. But if they had done a couple of things just the opposite, like instead of her being dressed, all crazy like it's the 70s have him dress really conservatively like in the 80s you know kind of thing i don't mean i, I mean like reagan-esque yeah you know kind of thing that he would come in and he would that in fact instead of people making fun of him for dressing funny people would be actually god herb you look great <laughs> you know <laughs> kind of thing everybody else is there just kind of Floating around wearing whatever casual stuff, and Herb comes in with a three piece suit with the little gold thing going across the uh, the tie and everything. I remember those, just a cute little, cute little bit that Herb is now actually uh, at the forefront of fashion. Okay, so let's uh, let's get this. So uh, the episode, this episode that we watched, that we're doing the podcast on. Yes. Uh, a grade. What would you grade it on? But directing, acting, plot, premise. I'd I'd give it a B. I would give it. Yeah, I'd say a B, B minus. Right. Uh, it, it wasn't horrible. It, it, what I use these days is when I watch an episode. I'm thinking, is this something that my daughter would watch? And would still appreciate as much as I do. Kind of thing. Mm. And uh, like she watched the first season of KRP with me. 
and because that's available out there, I, I think on Prime. Mm-hmm. And so I bought the first season. And by like episode three, she was already in love with Dr. Johnny Fever. <laughs> she goes, I like this guy. I like this guy a lot. Oh, and that's another thing, too. Like I said, WKRP being on edge. I mean, in the first season of the show, like about three or four shows in, there's these old people hanging around at the station. And Johnny Fever goes up to him and tells them to get out of there that he's killed a lot of old people in his mm-hmm. time. experiencing some technical difficulties here in the studio. Please stay tuned. We'll be back as soon as we get it fixed, okay? All right, you two up against the wall. (laughs) I don't know what you want here, but I think you should know that I've killed a lot of old people in my time. And I'm not about doing it again. You know, and that's the kind of thing that, again, in 1980, it was just kind of out there. You would never expect somebody to say something like that. But by 1991 through 93, when uh, the new KRP is on the air, yeah, that was that wouldn't have been outstanding at all. Yeah, uh, kind of thing. It's like, yeah, that that had, that was routinely in in shows uh, in the 90s, like Seinfeld, Friends, that kind of thing that it wasn't just way out there like it was back in 80. I think we can safely assume that uh, the new KRP is an okay show, but you really want to watch the the original KRP. Right. I think when they ask you, who is this show for? Well, the new KRP is a show for people that are fans of the original show. That it's every episode is somewhat of an homage to the original series mm-hmm. uh, to, to a certain extent that if you've never seen WKRP, you're going to watch the new KRP and go, yeah, you know, you're going to maybe give it a C, C minus kind of thing. But if you saw the original show and you see the characters come in and make these guest spots like Dr. Fever, Jennifer, and I believe uh, other original cast members, I think um, this made one, and, I, and, I, and correct, I think a couple others made one. one right. I don't know if Bailey ever does or not, because she sort of, I mean, she did Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and she sort of got out of acting. That was Mrs. Cotter. She did Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Oh, okay. I, hey, for the longest time, <sighs> I thought that Maria uh, Gal, who was in uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom that married... Um, Kate Capshaw. Yeah, I thought Kate Capshaw was the mom in a Christmas story <laughs> for a long time. And, but that's, and then it's like, no, she wasn't. It's like, mm-hmm. well, that makes sense because it would have been the wrong age and everything. But, you know, there's a lot of things like this I don't pick up on. I mean, the, the song Man Eater. By Holland Oates, you know, I thought I thought it was I thought it was band leader. <laughs> yeah, absolutely true story, and I still get shit from my family for that one. 
you know, watch out, she's a band leader. And it's like, what? Why do you have to look out for a band leader? I, <laughs> I don't. totally <laughs> serious. Those batons are floating. You can get hit in the head. Uh, Watch out, he's going to hit you with a stick. You know, get there. All right. Uh, So before we get out of here, once again, um, you are a restaurateur. Uh, Give your restaurant a plug right here. Uh, Well, we're uh, up here in southwestern Montana at an elevation of 5,300 feet, a little town called Phillipsburg. uh, We made the national news a few times because it's an old mining town where there was absolutely no economic growth after about 1918. And so all of these old Victorian buildings are still here. We have a a restaurant in the middle of one of the largest historical districts in the United States that the downtown that was created in the 1890s, all the buildings are still here. And so it's it's kind of like living a friend of mine saw some pictures of the town for the first time and he's like are you is this like a section of disney world and uh yeah it kind of is it's kind of like living in in some part of, of disney but uh what's the name of your place oh doe brothers is our current name but we thought about changing the name the thing is it was owned by this family the doe family from 1887 to 1969 and um and it went by Doe's drugs and they had signs all over the place except they wouldn't put the apostrophe up because mm-hmm. this is Montana and punctuation is for pussies. <laughs> and, and so all of their signs would say does drugs, does drugs, does drugs. <laughs> uh kind of thing. So it's an old drugstore with a old-fashioned soda fountain in it. And so we've been operating it now. It'll be 10 years this coming St. Patrick's Day. So anyway, and so we brag that we serve the best hamburgers and bison burgers in Montana, which is sounds like a hell of a brag, but if you've ever like been to a small cafe in Montana, that's not a real high bar to jump over. You know, it's not like Texas. <laughs> no matter where you go, you're going to find great food. If you go off on some little town somewhere in the hill country, there's going to be great Mexican food. There's going to be great barbecue. You go get lost in the thicket in East Texas, there's going to be a great restaurant there. So, no, these people are still in pioneer mode. Almost everything comes out of a can. Uh, and in fact, a can from the 1880s. So, <laughs> Consequently, I, I mean, w- when they occasionally and, and people should just, you know, looking for stuff to watch, try to find the food shows and look up these streaming food shows and stuff on the rare occasion that they do come to a restaurant in Montana. And you find certain things don't happen at restaurants in Montana. For example, using like fresh vegetables <laughs> doesn't happen. Uh, you know, they don't even use frozen. They use canned. They give you some canned asparagus with something. Um, there's this one restaurant that we stopped at that's in a town not far from Letterman's Ranch. And and on the menu, it's uh, one of their featured dinner items is uh, fettuccine Alfredo on penny pasta. And it's like, you do realize fettuccine 
Alfredo wasn't a guy. Like Fettuccini yeah. wasn't his first name, right? That the Fettuccini is in fact a type of noodle. And the Alfredo is a sauce that goes on the noodle. And, and they don't even list it as Alfredo on penne pasta. It's listed as Fettuccini Alfredo on penne pasta. And it, it would just be hilarious if it was actually Fettuccini Alfredo. You get double the pasta. It's Fettuccini Alfredo yeah, on penne both. pasta. If they had both. And yeah, so, if they had both. Yeah, and, and, and it's run by somebody who, you know, who's probably second or third or fourth generation. And uh, they, they're teenagers and they're looking to get out of here <laughs> and, and move to the big city like Missoula someday. And or Spokane, if they really, really, you know, set their sights high. And so they're not the most enthusiastic people. And then you got to deal with tourists all year round. But I didn't mean to just go on and on about that. But, you know, I, I think we actually, we, we sincerely probably have uh, the best comfort food restaurant in any small town in Montana. I know I've qualified that. <laughs> Because we do have good food in, in the big cities uh, up here. I'll put the link to your restaurant in the description of this show. <laughs> and uh, that is it. I, I want to thank uh, my guest, uh, Tim Howard, uh, for talking with. And I guess we are both saying that this is an okay episode directed by Burt Reynolds. But if you really want, watch WKRP, the original first. And then if you feel like it, go to the new KRP. Yeah, and you don't even have to watch like the entire series from beginning to end because some of the episodes towards the end of KRP were kind of iffy. You just watch the first season that's available on, on Prime. And you get a really good idea of the show. All the characters are very well, solidly laid out. And then you can go watch the new KRP for free on YouTube. And, uh, you know, th think, you know, for your... Well, I'm trying to... What am I saying? Think for yourself. That's not what I meant. But see for yourself. That's it. Just, but it's it's better than neighbors. Yes. Uh, yeah. So I want to say, please, uh, after this podcast, if you want to hear Tim and I talk about the movie Neighbors, starring John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd, go to the Dan Aykroyd podcast and listen to that one. And as Tim also said, all the new WKRPs are on YouTube, so you can watch them all for free. You, this is the uh, this episode came at the end of season number one. It lasted for two seasons, so I guess you would start at the first or just start at this one. It doesn't really matter. I think I think you start at the first, and then it, it really kind of moves in and tries to give some origin stories. But then people do appear like popcorn, for which there is no known origin story. But again, I haven't seen all of the episodes. Maybe they come back and address that at some point. I don't know. I don't know. You're going to have to find out yourself. Do yourself a little homework, people. And I just want to say on behalf of Tim Howard, I am Scott White, and thank you for listening to the Burt Reynolds and Charles Bronson podcast. We will see you next time. Thank you, Scott. To support this podcast, please go to www.patreon.com slash Scott White and give what you're able. If you're listening on iTunes, please give a review. This should help people find the podcast when they're searching. Uh, no matter what services you use to listen, please leave feedback. We always want to improve. Thank you for listening to the Burt Reynolds and Charles Bronson podcast.